This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Hello and welcome to The PR Show. I'm your host, Arvind Hickman, and today we are going to tackle diversity in PR, or should I say a lack thereof. Whichever way you look at it, diversity is a major problem in PR and communications. According to the CIPR's State of the Profession study, 92% of practitioners classify themselves as white, compared to 88% last year, which indicates the situation is getting worse. It's not just ethnicity that is a problem. The same study found 28% of respondents attended a fee-paying school, which is four times higher than the UK national average. In other words, we're an industry of white, middle-class practitioners with many from wealthier socioeconomic backgrounds. But it's not just the average practitioner profile that sorely lacks diversity. Deep-rooted prejudices and unconscious bias are holding back talent from elevating into leadership roles. In October, PR Week wrote stories about 51 senior people moves. Of this, 25 were about white men, 22 were about white women, and only four were about talent from non-white backgrounds. Think about this. How many of the top 100 agencies in the UK, how many of those agencies are run by people who don't come from a white Caucasian background? To discuss this issue and how to tackle it, I'm joined by BME PR Pro's founder, Elizabeth Bananuka, Manifest Brand Strategy Director, Julian Abubo, and WX Leader, Zoe Stafford. Welcome to you all. Hello. Thank you. you. 
All of our panellists are diversity champions in the industry. And to begin with, I'd just like to catch up on what you've been doing lately to promote diversity. And Zoe, I want to start with you because we wrote a story on PR Week recently about a new social enterprise that um, you are leading called WX. You did, and thank you for that. It was a great article. Um, so WX is, as you said, a social enterprise um, actively recruiting young people aged 18 to 21. Um, the idea really is to support social mobility and to also change the way that we are recruiting at W as an attempt to change the model. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking for young people who are not going to university due to socioeconomic circumstances, um, and also opening the doors to opportunity to educate them about the creative ro- creative careers within the industry, because I think there is a lack of knowledge of the, all of the, the array of job roles that are available. So it's really about building a bridge into a talent pool that currently isn't being very well accessed by, by the industry. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth. What are you Hello. currently up to? I know um, you're up to quite a lot. Well, yes, quite a bit. So I'm working on the first BME PR Pros Conference. Mm-hmm. Comms in a post-mainstream world um, from the rise of platforms like Galdem to um, taking on Brexit one tweet at a time. We've got Femi Oliwale from Our Future, Our Choice. We've got 29 speakers from Black... Asian, mixed race, ethnic minority backgrounds, from social media stars to creative directors. We've even got poet, writer, um, JJ Bowler, written an amazing book um, called Masked Off about masculinity redefined. Um, It's a full day conference, so that's keeping me quite busy. So that's the big thing, 29th of November. And I could tell you other things if you want, but I suspect my other speakers want to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I think we might come back to some of that. Julian, what about you? Uh, you, You're doing quite a lot of work in this. I understand that you're also advising as, as a advisor while you have the blueprint or the champion role? Yes, yes. Um, so Elizabeth is keeping me quite busy. Uh, <laughs> also speaking at the uh, at the conference in November on mm-hmm. um, on Black Twitter, which is which is fascinating. Um, so we've been doing that in the last couple of weeks of defining what it is and you know how to understand it. Um, and at Manifest, actually, currently um, pulling together our group level um, diversity and inclusion strategy, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because we are in three countries, um, in the UK, in Sweden, and in in the US, in New York specifically, which all have different challenges, especially Sweden. Um, and so it's interesting to actually speak to the teams and find a way where, at least on a base level, we can have a DNI strategy that can be adopted in, in all current offices, but mm. also is adaptable if we open up in, I don't know, in Dubai or in Calcutta or, or, or whatever. Um, so that's that's also keeping me quite busy. Um, but yeah, it's 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 challenging, it's fun. Um, and I've, I've actually seen in the last sort of two years that I've been doing this that, um, that the base level of understanding at, at Manifest um, around not what diversity is, but why it's important. Um, has has just grown and it it it, it fills me with pride really. Okay, uh, Elizabeth, do you want to just touch a little bit on blue on the blueprint? Yeah, so I've been kind of working on this diversity stuff um, for far too long. It feels like, um, and what's became apparent to me after lots of conversations over the years is that we have a sector wide problem. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think that you know I'd get a lot of phone calls from agencies that wanted to meet me to discuss a diversity issue, and a lot of people that I think 
slightly frustrated me because a lot of people just wanted the big, sexy, how do we fix this quite quickly? This is actually a, a deeper piece of work. Mm. I think the other thing that I found personally problematic is that, you know, I am rooting for talented black, Asian, mixed race, ethnic minority professionals to get the careers they deserve. And it didn't feel enough to work with one agency for one agency to become their, you know, their, that DNI agency. I think, you know, they deserve the same opportunities as our white counterparts to be able to open up 150 UK consultancies and think I've got an equal shot at all of them. We also know our sector is extremely incestuous. You get one person from one to another. And actually, so much of this stuff in our sector around diversity is actually around things like poor HR practices, lack of HR practices, which we can all benefit from. They will sort out retention, they'll sort out recruitment. So for me, it's, you know, and again, the other thing about the blueprint was about getting together a diverse group of people from different professional backgrounds, personal backgrounds, and tackling this together. And actually working and saying, let's going to work for two years and roll out a series of programs. So we'll roll out a kite mark. One of the things I'm very excited with in spring next year, we're launching the ZEC, which is the first leadership scheme, because God help me if someone else offers me another entry-level job or another entry-level scheme. But I love what WX is doing. <laughs> Why? <laughs> really clear. Um, because actually WX's model is fantastic. So that's really important. But also in the old days, again, not the old days, but what frustrates me, me, so many of these diversity things are conversations. I'm so tired of panel discussions. Let's have a panel and let's talk about it. Let's have a panel and let's talk about it. And it always felt like something was missing. So you'd either get senior people talking about diversity, BMEs talking about diversity, white people talking about diversity. Actually, it's a sector problem because it's also a diversity problem. And underlying all of this is a really unsexy fact of racial inequality and patriarchy. And, you know, diversity is a buzzword to tag on that. And those things mm. can't be solved through a panel discussion. It's about a deeper conversation about having different people in the room and say what was your journey to get in here what was your journey to progress and to think about those different barriers and trying to come together to make something that agencies that value diversity can take on board and build on okay well, what, what do you think are the underlying issues that, that cause these barriers especially when it comes to talent elevating i think a lot of issues i think First of all, I'll be quite blunt. I think there's a lot of people that genuinely don't care about diversity. And I'm saying that I will be bold and say that out of the top 150 agencies in the country, top, you know, when you do your list of top 150 agencies, I would say that I'll be surprised if 40 genuinely care. And out of those 40, I'll be surprised if 20 have genuine, robust policies in place. And that is more than, hey, we had some kid from Lewisham in and we gave him a talk about what it means to be in PR. Mm. I'm talking about deep-seated stuff. Um, well, so just, I think, just, what about with the top 150? I I think there's a lot of people that just don't care about diversity. I don't. Th I think a lot of people don't want to do the deep work involved. Um, you know, I think that people want the sexy aspect that will get get them, you know, a coverage in PR Week or tweet that's retweeted or nice content on LinkedIn. But they don't want to turn around and say, "What's the issue here?" I think we've also got a lot of racial prejudice. I think we've got a lot of sexism in our sector. Mm. I think our sector certainly doesn't like women. Um, I'll be bold in that and say that I think it's appalling that we have so many women that work in PR and yet we have such poor so many agencies with poor maternity rights. We mm. have, once women have children and babies, their career options are cut dramatically. That's yeah. quite appalling. And I think we have, you know, you, you can judge a sector on how well it's doing in terms of diversity by who's leading. And even the phone calls and conversations I have, it's amazing to me how many people, when they think of a diversity initiative, they think about people entry level. It never occurs to them that actually, you know, what about the directors? What's wrong with us that we can't envision a black man being a CEO or 
an Asian woman being a CEO. Those are that's the issue for me. And 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 you know, I I just flag that again. The last thing I, I would say, there's a lot to say, but I'd stress as well is that. We have a lot of agencies. You can say the top 150 agencies, but let's be honest, there's also a lot of these are very small businesses, relatively small businesses. And a lot of them don't have HR places and people in place. They don't have HR practices in place. And actually, this is the, they are maybe even not willfully, um, mm. willfully prejudicial in their behavior. But actually, what happens is, is that they've set up conditions where certain people can thrive. So, for example, we know that there's a lot of, entry jobs are really badly paid, which means that you come from a certain background to be able to access them. Mm -hmm. We know that if you, again, if you're a, a woman who works in an organization that doesn't give you great maternity benefits, then you have to have the partner or the family background to not need that income. So all these things, you know, basically have a certain conditions. And I think that last, very last thing, I'll let our, our panelists take over from my rant, is I think the other thing is that we as a sector don't push ourselves enough. We are very good to overhype people. I was a judge in the PR week, you know, best places to work last year. And I'm horrified by some of the entries and, and the, the extremely poor working conditions that we have. You know, the fact that it feels that, you know, there are some where account execs could probably earn more being a waiter and expect to work insane long hours. But, you know, it's OK. They're best place to work because you get an apple once a week. We <laughs> tend to, you know, you know, it's true. How many people think that, yeah, that, that how many people have a mental health first aid but appalling working practices? So there is there is a part of me that, that also feels that there is an element of prejudice. We've mm. decided a man has to be in charge mm. and we, we, you know, Oxbridge educator makes the best reputation management person. There's, there's, you know, and you have to have white skin to be in a, in, a, in a PR agency when we all know you don't need it. But also at the same time, I think we've hold, held ourselves back by creating a set that has very, very poor HR practices. Yeah. And I think we're also in a very sort of self-congratulatory self yeah. um, setup in an industry. I think... Mm -hmm. In everything we do, we're thinking about awards in, in yes. some way, just for, for, from the basic work. And I think that has permeated into how we also think about mental health and diversity. So it becomes a one-upmanship, like, all right, how do we do things better? How do we do things shiny and new? Yeah. Um, when I'm not saying, um, you know, the, the, the issue of diversity or mental health can be easily solved. But I think if you try and approach things from, you know, making shiny gadgets rather than solving basic issues, then all you're trying to do is just get an award rather than actually saying, all right, how do we ensure that people are coming in? How do we ensure that they're bringing their whole selves? How do we ensure they're rising to the top? And how do we ensure they get into the top? Agreed. Mm -hmm. um, Agreed. So, the, you know, to go back to the point of judging, there are times when I see these entries and I'm like, you're just trying to win an award. Mm. You know, yes. what's actually being changed in here? Absolutely. You know, um, and until we move away from that mentality of understanding the why diversity is, is, is important, and not just from a, oh, let's have a quota or let's have some mm. non-white faces in, in the office, but how does it actually feed creativity? Yeah. How does it, you know, improve your ideas? Absolutely. I don't think the discussion has matured to that. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it's maturing, and, I, and I'm glad yeah. that, you know, people are actually making big strides and doing innovative things, I'm all for that. Um, but I think the next step is understanding, okay, how do we actually ensure that our diverse um, companies and agencies are feeding into Absolutely. the creative work? And I, think well, I was going to say that that's one of the reasons that WX was um, founded in terms of Warren's, uh, the owner and founder of W. Um, he was looking at the output and looking at his work 
workforce and thinking everyone's got the same opinion and life experiences and we need to change that. And I think it's an industry-wide discussion, but WX is his attempt to look at how the model can change, how we can get young people into the business, because they are full of ideas. They're an untapped pool of creators. um, And they, for the most part, are a lot of our target audience for the brands that we work with. Um, So we're hoping that this model um, works to to benefit the business long term. Mm -hmm. And it is a long term um, effort. And I think even in the few weeks that we've been going, we recognize that recruiting is a really long process. Absolutely. And we recruited for WX by asking for creative content as opposed to a CV. So we're trying to switch it up. We're trying to make it... um, attractive to young people Um, a lot of them didn't know what PR was and I think that educating them about what PR is was also part of the journey Mm -hmm. Um, and retaining them I think long term will also be part of the journey Um, can I I just ask in terms of what you've seen so far because you've you've had your trainees on now for a few months Um, two, two months. Two months, yeah. okay. okay. A couple of months. Um, <laughs> I'm really interested in, in this idea about how important it actually is for people in PR and comms. And I'll, I'll actually expand this broader, more broadly to Marcoms, how underrepresented um, creativity, diversity and creativity is um, when you think about the people they represent, which is obviously brands and, and, and consumers, especially in places like London and in other yeah. places that, that are really diverse. And there's this sort of mismatch between a very stereotyped, say, creative director or what have you, um, versus Mm. what the reality of of people are. I'm just interested, Zoe, and then I'll get your feedback on this as well, Julian. What have you learned so far from having these trainees from these backgrounds in it? Have they they actually taught you anything in your agency? Absolutely. Um, I think I've I've been working in the industry in different guises for a while. My last job was at Puma as uh, working entertainment marketing and brand partnerships and so the role there was to come up with talent that we thought aligned well with the brand but also spoke to our audience Mm. interestingly speaking to these young trainees they haven't heard of half of them they're not following Mm. half of them and I think speaking directly to our target demographic has been invaluable in these last few weeks they've helped to reframe pitches they've helped to reframe ideas and concepts simply because they said that doesn't I don't relate to that. I don't know who that is. What, what are some of the things that you see, Julie? Because you have a sort of a more broader perspective, I guess, in terms of creativity. Throughout your career, what have you seen um, and, and how the lack of diversity has impacted uh, um, agencies in, in their ability to do work and represent people effectively? I think for me, what, one of the conversations that keeps coming up, um, even I think in, uh, at some times I manifest and also when I talk to others in the field is, and understanding that it it it'll be great to have people of diverse backgrounds in the office as physical bodies, but not necessarily to welcome um, at all times the the uh, difference of, of opinions that that could bring, um, and that's what. So it's a bit of tokenism, almost. Sometimes. On purpose, other times um, unconscious, mm-hmm. um, because I, I find that there, there are times I've had discussions um, on diversity, and before long, it turns into you know this idea of diversity of thought, mm-hmm. um, and I, I find that a useless concept because we're all individual human beings. We all think differently by definition, you know. So 
it, and I, th- I think it stems from the idea that people do not understand why having people from 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 broad backgrounds actually feeds into creativity. That they just think it'll be fair, you know, to represent the society we're in. That's that's true. It's fair and it's it's it, it's it's a just thing to do. But then allow people to actually bring in their full selves. Mm-hmm. Allow if I, I'm I'm from a Nigerian background, allow me to actually bring that into my histories, my my stories. Mm-hmm bring that perspective into it um and and and, and it, it comes from, from this fear that you know it, that everyone you know has different opinions so that let's just share different opinions fine but there's a filter i think that that, that we sometimes sometimes um disregard for this idea that you know by allowing uh um the specificity of thought we're essentially saying that you know, there's something neutral about whiteness. Mm. I think it's a it's a fear that um, people don't want to talk about race mm. or talk about how individual backgrounds can influence work. Is, is it almost a case of ticking that box so then you got someone at the top who's probably not from a diverse background and saying, well, we've reached out to everybody? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it comes from that. I think it also it stems from this general discomfort about talking about ethnicity and and race and and, and gender i think um and and I, I don't think that's unique to to london or the uk um so you didn't there's this whole political correctness thing going on at all or to a total degree a, a certain element of it i think especially in pr over the last sort of three four years it seemed as though that and I, I'm glad it happened, but it seems as though there was this push for diversity is, is important, but no one really knew why. But they were just like, there's this thing called diversity we should all be doing, so let's do it. Great. So it actually meant that, you know, the conversation started moving moving forward. People said, you know, it's like, we, look, we're all white. We need to get more, more brown people in here. Fine. But then no one actually knew why we need to do okay. it. So it was just like, all right, how do we win awards? You know, how, how do we show that, you know, 2% of our senior yeah. team is diverse? Mm. But the, the there's no why. So what I what I wanted to do uh, at Manifest when I when I was sort of put in charge of ensuring that you know we had a, a DNI strategy was actually saying this is not an HR thing. This is not a top down thing. Everyone from the intern to the CEO needs to understand the why. Why it's important. Mm-hmm. It needs to and we need to to ensure that we're having these uncomfortable discussions um, because a lot of people just really like a lot of people do not have time to follow these. Um, these, I guess, boundary pushing discussions, mm. diversity. Oh, and... I would just like to just like to encourage everybody to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> diversity and and you know the kind of discussions we're having around race and ethnicity and and, and, and gender, a lot of times is quite academic, um, and I, I find that people in a day to day. Not because they're ignorant, they just don't have time to really catch up. Like, you know, there's, there's folks who, you know, when they see the, the term people of color, which has been used for the last three years or four, it's increasing in popularity. They're still like, can I, can I say that? Mm. I mean, mm. I, I have my own issues with the term, yeah. but some people are like, wait, but you just said, mm. I thought we weren't saying colored, and now he's saying people of color? <laughs> but it's because people, are, they're not following, you know, so... So the, the the issue is that when we now have a discussion of the H and M, you know, hoodie, everyone is just like, I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. you know, and that's because people are not just engaged with these conversations. Are they being to, are the conversations too academic? I don't know. Are are, are the conversations a bit too, I guess, vitriolic? Probably. Uh, I think there's an element mm-hmm. of of 
um, the tone of Twitter that can get people to just be in their shells, cancel culture. I think there's an element of that that people mm-hmm. just do not want to, to to engage. But what that means is that um, when it actually comes time to do the, the hard work, no one is, is equipped to, to actually do it because all they've seen is just, oh, we just need to put black and brown bodies in and okay. they don't know how to handle it after that. Can I, can I ask each of you a question? I, I just want you to sort of reflect momentarily on, on your own careers and, and your own career progression. What, what would you, each of you say, and I'll start off with you, Elizabeth, what would each of you say has been the biggest barrier in, in terms of what you've experienced um, to, to sort of as your career has progressed? It's quite strange. I've, I've, I've definitely had my own fair share of barriers and I think it's, 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 it's wild to me that there are people that would, would, you know, at quite senior level that will make time to see me and talk to me about diversity issues because of BME PR pros. But if they'd seen my CV without BME PR pros, would never have considered me. Um, and I guess it's interesting that the first year that I launched the mentoring scheme, I actually had about six former employees that got in touch with me that year to, with two basically saying, did you launch this because we treated you badly? Um, also, <laughs> also um, clients saying, actually, I saw your CV, but didn't bother getting in touch but now you, I saw you on PR Week and then your, your name hit a nerve and I was wondering, oh, it's you. So now we have read your CV. And I was like, wow. So to be a black girl and have your CV read, you're going to be in PR Week. That was fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, PR Week. And then, but also I think that, you know, I, I think that it's fair to share, say there's been issues, but I mean, I don't want to go too much into my own situation because that could be a two a two year lecture. Sure. But but ultimately, you know, I, I'm a woman of a certain age. There's an ethnic pay, back, pay gap. There's a there's a uh, uh, there's a gender pay gap. And lucky me, as I said before, I've got both. And I'm not, you know, um, different to my peers in that sense. But I think one of the things that's interesting to me is then watching the relationship that some people have with me as, as a result of BME PR pros. And I'm quite fussy who I work with because, quite frankly, why should I compromise on this? I feel a huge responsibility for the people that get involved in the scheme, whether it's mentors and speakers like Julian, whether it's people that apply to be mentored. I feel a certain responsibility to represent them in a certain way. And I guess people don't see the, the, the back of house stuff I go through, the fact that more people have complained about, you know, not being in, in the PR week photo of the Blueprint Advisory Board than have written me to, to me to complain about the lack of diversity in the sector, the amount of people that, you know, quite frankly, have been so shocking in, in their demands for my time, and, you, and yet they're so quick to call themselves, you know, diversity champions. There's this thing of very much entitled allies, mm-hmm. and there is, which, we, which we have a lot of in our sector. And there is that, you know, that amazing thing that a lot of people just want to do the tokenistic. So, you know, when I have to say, you know, Ketchum's... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
done some incredible work. Um, Golan's done some incredible work. And I have to say, you know, as well, Manifest London has also done an incredible piece of work because what I think is interesting about Manifest London is whenever I have conversations with BMEs, they ask about Manifest London, but it's not because of a diversity initiative they're aware of. They just see Julian being his authentic self at an agency. And that actually should be the nirvana we get to, that you don't necessarily need to have a diversity initiative. And I and I hate you know to remind people, but actually it's crazy that we live in a city like London where there are an amazing amount of talented, creative black men. And actually Julian is a bit of a unicorn because he's a black man who's a director in our sector. That's actually even shocking in other sectors. Well, the shocking um, thing about it is when you think about it, it must be so much easier to actually find more Julians out there than is not to. Completely, mm-hmm. completely, completely. And, and you know, and I, I, I must stress that whenever I say Julian's lucky, it's not because that patronising thing, oh, you're lucky, like you don't have the skills, but he's actually lucky that he landed in an employer that recognised his talents and ability and support him and didn't have a problem with a black male being a director who didn't just see him as an entry-level position. Because the one thing I get a lot of is emails from BMEs who consistently have to leave their job to get a promotion, to get a pay rise. Mm. And what I get a lot of is a lot of BME, well, anecdotally, I know from agencies and from BMEs that there is within agencies, uh, obviously, a BME pay gap, but also, importantly, a retention problem. So if you've got a retention problem, you can turn around and either be a bit racist and say black, Asian, mixed race and ethnic minority people can't stick at jobs, or you can turn around and say something is going on in our working cultures that they're leaving. Mm -hmm. That is shockingly, you know. And likewise, in terms of people always say to me, but, you know, we can't hire. Well, you know, I have directly and indirectly got 24 black, Asian, mixed race, ethnic minority people, better jobs. And I don't mean entry levels. I mean significant pay rise, everything else. And I'm not even a recruiter. And that's been by BMEPR pros. And that's the problem is I think that if you don't look for the talent, if your assumption straight away is I'm, I'm hiring a manager, so he has to be a man, and I'm hiring a PR, they have to be white, then of course you'll never see the BME talent. Okay. That Julie, kind of didn't really answer your question, but you know what? It, I, I don't think it was an interesting question. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I'm sorry. I, I just want to answer the questions I want. Is that okay? That, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. You can, you can do, it. You can do as you please. <laughs> Would you like to host this one? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> look, I'd I, I still like to get, um, Julian, just reflecting on, on your own career, what are some of the barriers that you've experienced? Or that, that You're a mentor. You must speak to people all the time about this sort of stuff. Mm. What are some of the things that you, you might hear about as well? In terms of barriers, it's true. I, I have been lucky. I have been lucky to land in an agency when there were five people at that time um, that genuinely wanted me to be, bring my whole self um, and did not see a, a, an issue um, in promoting me, did not see an issue in bringing me into meetings, did not see an issue in me voicing my opinions because of my, my background. Um, and that has allowed me to, to learn, allowed me to, to thrive, allowed me to bring others in and bring others up. Um, when it comes to you know conversations I have with others, uh, other black folks in, in, in PR, I think one element that keeps re- re- recurring is, um, I guess... I guess feedback they get that there's an attitude problem, I think, at times. I think... Um, Just sort I, of reinforcing stereotypes. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think it goes back to this idea. And I like to... Whenever I have discussions in the office, I'm just like, we need you need to check your circle. I think a lot of us, um, a lot of white folks don't have 
friends that are, you know, not white. Um, and that then means that there's this, I guess, um, misunderstanding or people ju- just don't understand, uh, you know, the, the other or, or others. And w- what that means is that in, in the workplace, you know, I, I, I find from conversations I've had that a lot of black women especially uh, are, are penalized for behaviors that, you know, white women, you know, just you know would would do so if someone you know is 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 a bit i guess taken aback or sad that they've received uh negative feedback the black woman would get some extra you know oh she had an attitude problem or the way she looked at me or the way she snarled was mm. you know a bit bad um and that's feedback i've gotten another um I guess recurring theme in, in in mentorship is this idea of confidence. I know that's a very nebulous term, mm-hmm. but it's a, a sense of ownership of space. Um, and I think a lot of times it comes down to 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 class as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's folks who enter spaces and just feel nervous if you know they, they don't see other black faces or brown faces, mm-hmm. um, and that then means that they, they're not able to relax and bring their whole selves. Um, and I mean, the only way to get through that is just you know to to instill this strong belief in, in self that you're you're worth it, you deserve to be here and power through. Um, but if you you don't feel comfortable, it can affect the way you work, it can affect your performance, it can affect your progression. Um, but yeah, ownership of space and just allowing just letting people know that there's nothing like a white space or a black space. Yeah. Like <laughs> if you if you're here, you deserve certainly hope not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like if you're here, you you deserve to Absolutely. be here. Mm. Absolutely. You know, bring your whole self. Can I can I just jump in? I'm sorry. Can I just jump in? I think I think yeah. Julian's made made a really really good point. I think that one of the things that I'm really struck by is so first of all, bizarrely doing this diversity work, people are more confident telling me stuff that's mildly racist, um, <laughs> which is interesting. And you know, I said to Julian before, you know, the the road to diversity hell is littered with liberal good intentions. And it's interesting to me that that so for example, one agency that was desperate to diversify, the woman said to me, but you know, the problem with black and Asian people is so it just they just can't write and most of them don't understand what they're saying so I've heard that quite a lot Um, I've heard you know we want to hire them but the thing is you know we can't be a charity um, because of course the assumption is the skills aren't there Um, the other thing when I first started BME PR Pros I still it probably happens less now but I would say that even up until early this year the assumption was that PR Week did it so people would email me and ask to get in touch with PR Week and they would say to me but no really who did this Um, the other one that I love is when people like but of course you've done BME PR pros really well because you know the BMEs like you and I'm like no it's a communication campaign it's because actually I know something about engagement the website's had 250,000 hits organic growth I think I know something about social media so and it's it's all that kind of thing of like you don't know you don't know Mm. and I think the one thing for me is certainly with, with again BME PR pros because I was so conscious that so many diversity initiatives they put the onus on the BME it's, 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 there's something wrong with you I will help you get better but actually they never put the, 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 the mirror up to the sector what are you doing to, to create the space mm-hmm. what are you doing or what have you done to create the wrong kind of space so with BME PR pros one of my things was always going to be well this isn't going to be it this is going to be where there's nothing wrong with you there's something wrong with the sector and pride is very very important and I had to start living that pride as well which is, means that I don't act grateful anymore which is one of the things you know I'd, I'd, you'd go to, to jobs especially when I was before I went freelance this thing of constantly having the act of being grateful everyone's telling you all the time you're lucky to have a career in PR you're lucky to have a career in PR and having to act grateful and I stopped doing that 
And I'm always, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I've been freelance for about four years now. I've had about 40 odd clients. I've obviously got some skills, but I think that is a key thing. And it's interesting that about the confidence point that, that, that Julia made. I had someone that contacted me last year who was very interested in being, in, in being put in touch with a mentee. And they said, but you know what, from her interviews on BMEPR Pro, she just sounds bit too confident mm-hmm. and I and I and I wrote back and said that's absolutely fine I don't think me and you have the same perspective I, and I was just like I'm not going to put you in touch with them because what a horrible piece of feedback to give to someone you know what can you just tone it down a bit and actually I wrote back to this person and said you know what she's brilliant she deserves to be confident and that's again the perception of what we are meant to be and you can understand I'd like to touch a little bit on the role of recruitment consultants and and what they might be doing to either help or hinder the situation when it comes to getting getting um, talent from different backgrounds into the industry. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I mean, we've got quite a large, you know, few big a- agencies in the sector that are quite famous recruiters. But from my perspective, they are definitely barriers and certainly barriers for others as well. Um, I don't apply for any jobs through recruitment consultants anymore. But then that the, the, the worrying and, and frustrating thing about that is it means that then recruiters turn around and say we don't get the talent coming in but I'm not going to waste my time pitching for a job I'm never going to hear from so when it's a job that actually has come from a contact of mine someone that knows my work I'll always be paid and offered my day rate and what I'm worth but if it comes from a recruiter it's often deeply undercut you know I'm still I I mean I got a a job offer from from a recruiter couple last week I mean I'm a woman of a certain age but obviously I look 21 um Julian's like, what? <laughs> Black don't <laughs> cry. <laughs> and the, the new braids don't, you know, don't hurt. So, but, but, but it's shocking to me that, you know, this recruitment consultant was calling me aggressively for a 22K job. And, and, but, but actually, most, I, you know, it's, again, bearing in mind my age, bearing in mind how long I've been in PR, bearing in mind that I changed sectors, you know, in, when I was 30, so I had all that career behind, bearing in mind I have, you know, two degrees, in, you know, including a master's. All these things, it's shocking that recruiters never have approached me for a job that's more than 30, 35K. Mm. And that's and that's quite shocking that I've actually got, you know, white counterparts who I started with, who I've trained, who are on less money than me, who are now double on what I ever earned as a permanent. I had to go freelance to get paid what I'm worth. And, you know, the, the brilliant thing about freelance, I always point out to people, well, apparently I'm more palatable as an employer when I'm easy dispensable um, <laughs> and have to get results. So. Uh, Is that something that you've experienced, um, Julian? Yeah. um, So what what we do at Manifest is essentially uh, taking a leaf from what what the NFL did in in the 90s with the Rooney rule. So just some background, the the NFL has historically been largely black work since since they allowed black people to play American football. Um, So in the in the mid 90s, it was about 70 percent black, but all the coaching staff was white. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was a problem. So what they did was essentially just put in a rule um, that whenever uh, an NFL team was recruiting for either head coach or coaching staff, they had to interview at least one non-white person. And I think in the space of one season, you know, it went from zero to about fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and now there's black coaches that have won the Super Bowl and all that. And it's just that's that simple rule of saying you have to speak to you know, at least one, at least one person. It's, it's not tokenism. You don't have to hire them. But you have to speak, speak to them. What, what, what that then does is twofold. So, it means that those folks who would have had, yeah, let, let's face it, racist beliefs that ah, I don't think black people have the capacity to 
lead a team would actually say, oh, wow, I spoke to this guy. He showed me his, his tactics, his, his ideas. He's hired. He gets results. Um, and then that also means that players on the field say, I can see myself as a coach in, in, in the future. So representation absolutely matters. Um, and I've seen that at, at Manifest with, like, we had um, last month we had our, our internship um, sort of day interviews. So we were bringing about 10 people to, to, to have interviews. And they, they were, I think it was about eight women. I think six of them were black. And it just it just filled me with joy. I was like, "Wow!" Like mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing we necessarily did purposefully, but you know, when I had one on one one on one talks with them, they were like, "Oh, I saw you on the website. Or I went to your Twitter, and you were talking about plantain and all that." Mm-hmm. And they were just like, "You know, <laughs> they can see that he's a director and he's bringing his, his own self. I want to be in, in, in that in, in that company." So that matters, like a sense of representation, um, and and also ensuring that. Now, because the status quo is so broken, as agencies, we have to do just that little bit of, of, of legwork. We can't let yeah. the recruiters off the hook, yes. push them. But also, if you're, if you're recruiting for a role and in two weeks everyone who, who's applied is called Emily and, you know, and it's from Somerset, yes. <laughs> picking on Somerset, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you just have to yeah. say, what, what are we doing wrong? How do we go to those spaces where you know we can we can find more diverse candidates? Okay. You know, and is it going to take a bit longer for you to hire? Probably yes, but you're doing it for the greater goal. You're doing it for a higher yeah. purpose. Um, and so we need to hold recruiters accountable, but also hold ourselves accountable, and not just say, "Hey, you know, we did our best, and we hired Emily." Mm. Yeah. The being okay. Sorry. Um, just my my experience. I just realized, reflecting, that I only got one job from one recruitment company over my over the course of my career Mm. and every other time was through contacts um so i just reflected and thought wow there probably is a problem is that through a lack of trying or no not through lack of trying at all and and i only it only just dawned on me that there is probably a real problem Mm -hmm. um with wx just to say again with recruiting we've had such a diverse uh, array of people applying we used um, Facebook and Instagram for one, one side of the recruitment process. And by its nature, as we said, we're living in London, which is completely multicultural. The applicants reflected that. So there obviously is a problem, I think, through the recruitment process. I, that I did love that sense. idea of using social media and just without CVs and just saying create something yeah. Yeah. To, to attract talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What about in terms of ideas? What, what, what do you think is one thing that the industry could focus on from your perspective that would make a difference? Um, I mean, I'm very new to the... I've worked in-house for such a long time, so I, I kind of feel like I'm re-entering agency life. Yeah. Um, so in the, the, f- the few months that I've been in it, WX, I'm hoping, is a really great model for... I know, again, it's entry level, but I looking at the industry, it seems that a lot of the senior people have been in the industry for a long time. So I think in terms of... Like quick fixes. I don't think there is a quick fix. What about in terms of the fact that you have been in-house for such a long time? Surely you must have some views. You've always had many agency partners in the past. You must have some ideas in terms of what you've dealt with and how things could improve. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Um. Julian, do you, you want to have a, have a crack at it while we let's all we think? I think the first thing is that the solutions have to be intentional because the problems are intentional. 
Um, and by intentional, I don't mean someone sat there and said, let's prevent all black and brown people from entering PR. But there are structural problems that when you sort of go down the, the, the line have been, have been intentional. Um, so whatever it is, agencies and the, the, the industry needs to understand that it's important and need, it needs to be fixed with with purposeful politics and, and, and policies, I mean. Um, because I think there's sometimes a, a tendency to just say, well, if as individuals we're not racist and we're anti-racist and we have a diverse group of friends, then things will naturally fall into place. I think there's a slight element of truth in that. Yes, if you have uh, a, an agency that is open and understanding of the importance of, di- of diversity, just through you know the natural flow, you would eventually have um, an agency reflective of that. Um, another thing I think is, is extremely important is to understand that this cannot just be about professional life and about professional work um, because we're only going to fix half of it. There has It's societal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a difficult conversation to have because, you know, how do you mandate what your employees do after they leave at five or six, you know? But how, through work, how can you encourage people to open up their friendship groups, encourage people to read more about countries and people that are not like them, encourage people to just, you know, if there's a if there's a film on in, in, the, in the cinema that has subtitles, go for it. Mm. You know, how what, what other things can, can you do, you know, um, extracurricularly that, that is all about opening up people's minds to the wider world mm. because when, once you underst- understand and appreciate you know the joy of difference then you'd want more of it mm-hmm. um, and so, so I think a lot has to be done societally um, to to move the dial f- forward and then that would then bleed into you know how um, the, the industry is then reflected okay Elizabeth I mean I, I mean it's it's, in, it's interesting because so what I guess, again, frustrates me about this whole diversity stuff, some of the stuff that Julian's just said should be such common sense in our sector, because what we forget more than anything else is unlike other sectors, our sector is about people. It's fundamentally about communications, it's about audiences. We're di- living in a time of post-Me Too, of Brexit, of, of Black Lives Matters, of trans rights. These are huge societal changes that are taking place. And yet our sector seems completely untouched, like it's still 1980s Somerset. Nothing wrong with Somerset. Um, <laughs> People in Somerset are like, what did we do to you? I've actually never been to Somerset, so I want to apologise to Somerset. Um, but, 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 but that's problematic. You know, we should, we should understand that. You know, it's, it's interesting working on BMEPR pros. I allow people to be their authentic selves. I ask them to be really human when they, when they come on board as a mentor. I encourage them to write very human um, profiles. And I say to people, if it's not human enough, I won't, I won't profile you. And I'm quite firm on that. And it's the same when we talk at events. And, you know, of course, I've learned a lot. I read the Atlantic because Julian referenced it in his, in his interview. I, I heard of, you know, Charlemagne the God because Tommy did it. Now I feel mildly interesting and cool and young. Um, but 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 it is. It's, it's that kind of thing of like, you know, so much of BMEPR pros is, is a communication campaign. And it's wild to me. There's a whole sector. There's a whole part of our sector that it hasn't occurred to them to understand these, 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 these changes that are going on outside our front door. And I think that more and more this thing about purpose isn't going to change. You know, there is a rise 
eyes and 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 a clear eyes of, of the right wing in the media you know and we've seen that in in platforms all the stuff that's come out with facebook you know there is going to be a point in our society that i don't understand how prs can't understand this is not the time for the innocent bystander mm. you have to be turned around and say what your values are and are mm. you going to hand me through the door are you going to be you know it's cool weather spins is about brexit that's fine i won't spend my money there but what are you about you as an employer mm. and i'd like to say that we the great thing about young people is they will lead this charge and change this. I read this amazing piece of research that showed that actually white young people, when they went into a workplace that wasn't diverse, they perceived it as old fashioned. Isn't that interesting? They found companies old fashioned who did that. Yeah. Because, you know, we the, again, we need to remind ourselves that we are having this conversation in London, which is a city that's nearly 40 percent ethnic minorities. We shouldn't be having it here. A lot of agencies are based in London. A lot of large comms teams are based in London. It is wild to me that therefore when you enter those buildings, it's 90% white. What mental mathematics or gymnastics is going on in your head when you get off a tube that is all diverse and go into a building that isn't and don't think something has fundamentally gone wrong mm. between the barrier of the people outside who you are communicating to, yeah. selling to and talking to on behalf of brands and what's going on in the building. Okay. Do you want to have anything to add, Zoe? I, I mean, I'm echoing you guys, to be honest, because it's, it's not an answer. It's a reflection yeah. of the problem, really, yeah. what you've outlined. Um, and in terms of, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get in, involved with WX. I'm, I want more diversity in the workplace. I want there to be um, young people with different perspectives. I want young people to feel that they have something to contribute and work with these brands that are so influential um, because ultimately young people generally are shaping culture yeah. outside of the offices yeah. um, and they should be, I think, paid for that and there are so many amazing um, jobs that are available for people to do that. Um, I do think that companies need to take accountability, as, yeah. as you said, Julian, um, and stop talking about it and try something. Mm. I think that trying something different will, will make a make a difference in, in the first place but also a long-term commitment because it's a long-term commitment to change the face of yes. the industry yeah. it's going to take a long time so it can't be something that people tick for 2020 and, and done. I've done oh that didn't work if you're committed to it you need to stick at it and it will I think in the long term pay off I think the, the, the last thing I'll say sorry Alvin, sure. is definitely it's, it's about the bottom line and you touched on that briefly because the most interesting conversations, the most evolved and deepest I've had are with consumer tech companies, people that everyone would want on their books as potential clients because they've already got it. And actually our in-house peers are in a stronger position of diversity conversations than our agencies. So when I hear people turn around and say, this is why agencies need, you know, PRs should be like management consultants. Well, the joke's on us because management consultants were writing books about diversity decades ago. McKinsey already knows the importance of diversity. All those people in the C-suite already know the importance of diversity. We're the only ones as a sector that don't know it. And that's the problematic. So we won't get taken seriously. And so many of these consumer tech clients, what's interesting, again, is I know a media company who they changed things in terms of diversity by going after their pipeline. And it's not the first. There's loads of others that are starting to do it. And their attitude is, I want you to now report on your diversity. And that's, and there will be a point when they turn around and say, well, you're a PR agency, you want our business, what's your diversity figures and what are your diversity policies? Mm -hmm. So for me, genuinely, I say it a million times, the agencies that have got diversity, they are the businesses of the future. They will sustain. The agencies that don't get it, you really are falling behind, especially with this rise of consumer tech, fintech, all these big brands that you want on your books. Monzo, for heaven's sake, publishes their diversity report and they've been doing that for three years, you know. 
I think that's quite a an important and a stern warning for the industry to act and stop talking. Hopefully, we won't have to keep having these discussions. Um, but I would encourage everybody when they do get a chance to check out some of the great work that's going on at WNWX, at Manifest, and of course at BME PR Pros. Um, yes. And you'll find details. Can you of the conference, please, and point out that Samira Ahmed is giving a keynote. The well, uh, Samira Ahmed. These, exactly. You. There you go. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough reason for all of you listeners out there to go and visit the website and check it out for yourselves. I'd really like to thank our guests today, Zoe, Julian and Elizabeth for a riveting conversation, an important conversation. I'd also like to thank our production partners, Marketeers, for helping produce this episode. And I'd like to thank our listeners, you, for listening. And until next time, I'm Ivan Hickman. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.